The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? I think they're going to stick a slide up there in a second. Wow, huh? It's pretty cool, isn't it? As a matter of fact, this was the view that I had last Sunday morning where I was at. Unfortunately, for those of you that didn't get to go with me and had to stay here, well, uh, this was your view last Sunday morning. Um, you know, hey, sorry, dude. You know, hey. <laughs> it is what it is. Yes, it is. You know, but, um, you know, we're going to talk a whole lot here about, uh, about paradise and about perfection is kind of where we're headed. But come back to the original, original uh, slide that was up there. I guess I ought to fill you in as to where I was and what, what we were up to. We had the opportunity as a family to go on a family vacation. First time ever we've ever gone on one that did not include a cow or a cow show. Okay? So we had the opportunity and were blessed and were able to go to Hawaii. And went to the island of Kauai. And we had an Airbnb on the, on the east shore over there. And uh, this is actually a sunrise, not a sunset. So um, extremely beautiful. Great place to go. I must share this quick story with you. Um, I was on the same beach a few days later. And it was, it, the weather kind of got bad. And it got to raining some off and on. And you know, kind of a drizzly kind of day, and we were walking down the beach, and a gentleman that lived a few houses down that lives there was out on the beach as well, and and uh, we kind of stopped and got to talking. He said, man, what a lovely day in Kauai it is, and I was kind of looking around. I was like, well, don't look too bad to me, really, you know, and he was he was kind of pretty down and out with the drizzle and everything else, but and we got to talking about it. He said, well, where are you from? And I said, well, from New Mexico. And so he said, oh, well, I drove through New Mexico last year. He said, I got all into that big debate in New Mexico, red or green. He said, and it took me the, traveling across the entire state to figure out what they were even talking about. But he said, I finally figured it out by the time it's said and done. And anyway, he's, you know, Kauai is an island over there that's still probably, if there's one left, probably the most laid back one. Okay. The least tourist and all that good stuff. It's the most laid back. And this gentleman, we kept talking and we went to part ways. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I want you to go back home and tell all your friends and everybody you know that you had the most wonderful, spectacular, fabulous time on the island of Maui. <laughs> so they kind of want to keep it a little low key over there. But anyway, kind of back to what I was going to visit with you about a little bit. You know, we you sit there and you look at that and you think, wow, that's paradise. That's pure deep perfection. And you, and you know, we, we stuck slide two up there and everybody laughed a little bit. But I'm here to tell you, too, that I think slide two was paradise also and pure deep perfection. And you might think, how is that? We see slide number two. Slide number one was real pleasing to the eye, isn't it? Slide number two is a very godly man standing in front of you, spreading the word of God. That's paradise. That's perfection right there. You know, we think about in the real world, you know, other what might, what might be paradise, what might be perfection, different things. One thing that comes to my mind, what about a newborn baby that you hold in your arms? Pure, deep perfection. 100%. Unflawed, undamaged by the world. Perfection. You know, I'm I'm a farmer in agriculture, and and you th I think in my life, in my eyes, you know, what is paradise? 
You know, and I think I'm a dryland wheat farmer, and I can think, well, if I'm standing in the middle of a wheat field, wheat's about this tall, fixing to cut 30, 40 bushel wheat out of it, it's swaying in the wind, rustling in the wind, in the breeze. That's paradise to me. You know, and you think, well, what's other situations? What about those teachers? We have a lot of teachers in the room, don't we? And uh, you might think a teacher has paradise. Yeah, you know. But just stop and think of this. As a teacher, if you're standing up in front of your classroom, talking to your students or working on the board or whatever it might be, and every single kid in that room is just dialed into you. They're quiet. Their eyes are big. They're anticipating the next word that's fixing to come out of your mouth. (laughs) But also it would be paradise, wouldn't it? (laughs) It would be paradise, wouldn't it, Marie? (laughs) Might not happen often, but it would be, okay? So, you know, there's several different ways that we can look at paradise and look at perfection. And I think, you know, we get to talking and you get to thinking. You've probably thought of things in your own head that you thought would be perfection and would be paradise. But I'm here willing to give this to you, that every single one of us has an opportunity to be a part of paradise. And it's right in front of us. It's right in front of every single one of us. Some of you know where I'm headed with this. Because Jesus came on this face, came on this face of this earth to give us that opportunity, didn't he? So that we can have part of that paradise. We can be in that paradise. But it takes a step from me and you. You say, well, how's that? Well, in order to get into God's paradise, you have to do one thing. You have to accept him as Jesus, as your Savior, and repent of your sin. It's that simple. You know, once you repent of your sin and you give yourself to Jesus, you say that simple prayer, you're what they call born again. And once you become born again, you can get baptized. You can do all the other stuff. You can walk through the doors for 50 years here. But if you never truly said that prayer, you're never born again. And you can never have the paradise that God offers to you. Just remember that. And if you're here and you're like, but I don't know how to. I might say it wrong. I might do it wrong. I don't know exactly what to do. Donna's here. Franklin's here. Marie's here. I'm here. Come see us here during communion. If you need to go back to the prayer room, we'll do it back there. But let's get to Jesus. Let's get to paradise. Because paradise is for all of us. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you this morning as always. We praise you and thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity of paradise, that you give us that, that we can go there. We can be a part of your paradise. And Father, we thank you for the, perf- for the perfection that you showed us, the example that you gave us, that how we should live our lives so that we can be perfect in you and in your eyes. I lift everyone in this room up to you, Jesus, and everyone that's watching online. Father, that that if there's health concerns, health needs there, that you take care of those. You heal. That is, you said, by your stripes we shall be healed. And so we will. So you will. Father, I ask that you give us guidance. You give us knowledge. You give us wisdom as we go forth this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Poverty is an interesting word. Uh, Often when we say poverty, we think of a third world country, Africa, Haiti, something like that. And most of us have seen the news reports that say 41% of the planet lives in what is called extreme poverty. Uh, There are actually two other levels uh, above it or below it. I mean, there's two levels worse than extreme, which kind of shocks me. But extreme poverty on a world map looks like this. Uh, That's less than $6 per day per person. That's a family of four living on about $8,800 a year. That's That's pretty dramatic. And like I said, when we say poverty, my brain is drawn to Haiti or Africa or somewhere like that. It's hard to, hard to grasp. It's hard to understand that it's, it may not be millions of miles away. It may be ten blocks away. You see, Roosevelt County in our latest, latest uh, census shows almost a 30% below the poverty line rating in our own county. And now the poverty line in the U.S. is a little higher. That's about $65 a day for a family of four. That's four people living on $24,000 a year, $2,000 a month. That's, that's kind of hard in our culture. And what makes it even worse is most of you know the news, and New Mexico frequently leads in the bad categories. It's 49th or 50th in the good category. So at any given time, New Mexico could be 49th or 50th in the state, and Roosevelt County could be one of the – put it this way – on any given day, you could be in one of the five poorest counties on in the entire country of the U.S., sitting right here in Portales. And that's hard to grasp that, that it could affect us that severely. Yet that verse that Marie read earlier, Jesus said, he, The Spirit has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. The poverty stricken. And when he's reading that, it's in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He's... He's reading in the synagogue, the Dereshah, and he's quoting from Isaiah 61, which is ironically talking about him. <laughs> he's reading a book about himself. That's the kind of the, the curious thing about it. He's telling of himself. And the first people that visited, that were visited after the birth of Jesus were the poorest people on earth. We're in this series called Visitations, who God visits and how he visits them. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you join us online, welcome uh, on the radio. Thanks for joining Central Christian Church today. Luke chapter 2. I don't really care if you have it on your app or in your lap. We want you to be a Bible-believing, Bible-using church. Okay, So uh, make sure you have your Bible out. If you don't have one, we'll get you one. But join me in chapter 2. Now, it's very easy to tune this out, okay? But... Tune into this. You can read this story. You know it. But you might see some nuances that you've never seen before. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, At the time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. 
That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. If you're channeling Linus right now, that's okay. That's where this comes from. Uh, They were sore afraid, is what Linus says in the Charlie Brown Christmas, and it's coming from the King James. Pick up with me in verse 10. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. One of the biggest problems with the Christmas story is sadly familiarity. Does that make sense? It's, we know it so well that sometimes we tune it out. When we, we see it all the time, it can become mundane. I'm so thankful that Mike shared that picture of the sunrise. And, and I've heard many people say how gorgeous our sunsets are out here. And recently, the last couple of weeks, they have been mind-bogglingly beautiful. But we get so busy in stuff that it's just out there. You know what I'm saying? And it, begin, it becomes mundane. We, we overlook it. And you see, the temptation is to see the Christmas story through the eyes of our culture. And that means the movies and Santa and the decorations. And this is going to be the best Christmas, the most perfect Christmas, because that's what all the Hallmark movies say it has to be. And we, we're going to get it that way. You see, in that, we, we sometimes make it about who deserves gifts. Oh, we'll give a little something to charity, but we're really going to pick out who gets the best gifts. And then the temptation becomes we close our wallets to the mission of God and we open our wallets to the consumer goods. What happens when culture blinds us so much that we miss the beauty of the birth of Jesus? And I'm afraid sometimes we do that. That's not a complaint. It's just I want us to look at this. So I'm going to give you the sermon in a nutshell, all right? It's coming up on this slide. It's on the back of your bulletin. It's this. The birth of Jesus compels us to proclaim him publicly and pursue him personally. That we've got to be talking about it and we've got to be chasing after it. The reason for this is this is not a once upon a time story. It's not a legend. It is truly accurate eyewitness account. Sometimes I have to remind myself to go back to the first verse of the book of Luke. Luke is a doctor and a writer, and he is writing a, not a novel, he is writing a historical document for a guy named Theophilus. We don't know much about Theophilus, but he gets Luke, the book of Luke, and the book of Acts. And and Luke says, I'm writing to you so you have a full account of this life of this man named Jesus. 
And that's why he has it. So it's, it's historical. It's accurate. It's eyewitness accounts. He lists Quirinius as the governor. Augustus is the emperor. And we see these from these details. And Rome has a, a history, a, a reputation of extorting people for their taxes. That's why the census. Hey, we've got, we got to count up these Israelites, make sure we're getting enough money and we're bleeding them as best we can. Now, Scripture tells us here that Joseph went up to Bethlehem, his ancestral home. He was coming from Nazareth, which is down by the Sea of Galilee. You might say, what's the big deal? Well, Bethlehem is on a hill, and it is 2,654 feet above sea level. It's not that big a deal to you and me. We're at about, what, 4,000 here, somewhere around that. So it's not that big a deal. But if you're at, at Nazareth, or you're right around the Sea of Galilee, guess what? You're at sea level. So up at the north, you've got the Sea of Galilee, you've got the Jordan River, you've got the Dead Sea down here. Jerusalem, Bethlehem are over here. Nazareth's up here at the top. You with me? And it's about 90 miles from Nazareth or that general vicinity to Bethlehem. Now, if you've been with us before, we've talked about historically that cities were about 20 miles apart because you could travel about 20 miles in a day. You could walk about 20 miles in a day. So it's 90 miles, four and a half days. If you pushed it and got 25 miles each time, you could probably do it in four days. Problem. Mary's pregnant. And Mary's not pregnant. Mary's very pregnant. You, you're tracking me. We're talking 35 weeks, okay? I want to talk to the women folk in here that have had babies, okay? Not any of us men. We don't get a, a vote on this, all right? I'm just asking your opinion. At 35 weeks, are you comfy? That word does not come up. Uh, well, actually, it comes up a lot. It's, I want to be comfy. Make me comfy. So the prospect of going uphill... On a 90-mile trip that should take four and a half days, but you've got to stop and go to the bathroom every eight seconds. So it's probably going to take like ten days, right? And you're riding on the back of a donkey. By the way, your husband is broke. Okay, that's what's going on here. All right, does this sound like a happy trip? Nothing of this sounds happy, all right? Now, I say all this because of one thing. I think some of us struggle with God's timing. We may not agree with God's timing. We may not understand God's timing. But God's timing is perfect. Look in verse 9. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And again, I'm not a doctor, but I understand these things usually take about nine months, right? I got a hunch God has a calendar in heaven somewhere. He could figure out, ooh, that's not going to be good. Uh, we, should, we should reroute that situation so she doesn't have to traipse all that way on a donkey being pregnant. But you see, that's not how God did it. While they were there, the time came for the birth. God knew the time. I say that because some of you are sitting there and you're, you're looking for the answers. You're alone and you've been alone a long time and, and you can't seem to find somebody to share time with. You have sought and wanted answers for your medical issues and it's just not happening and you keep praying and you don't understand why God does not answer right now. Friends, we may not be able to see the end. We may not even be able to see the hand of God in the situation we're in right now, but you know what you can? You can trust the heart of God. Our God's timing is perfect. Now God shows up in the form of angels to shepherds. People that live in poverty. Friends, in this culture, shepherd was not a career path. 
Okay, that was not a dream. You know, I want to be an astrophysicist. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a shepherd. All right, that was low on the totem pole. Because shepherds were not very well respected, they usually had to live outside of town. And part of the problem is many people thought shepherds were thieves. When we have, you know, you've heard the term horse thief, that there was a lot of sheep thieves at that time. And if you were working, that was a minimum wage job. That was the low man on the totem pole job. That you were usually a person with a past. People with a past. Maybe a recovering addict. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you've made poor choices in your life. Do you realize the first news of Jesus came to the last people we would ever expect that to get that message? In fact, that's what really bumfuzzled a lot of the Sadducees and Pharisees. Why didn't it why didn't he come to the synagogue? Why didn't he come in, you know, and as an emperor and the real true king, a Messiah would not come this way? And it got me to thinking, if we were to rewind history, and that was today, where would Jesus arrive today? If this was our culture, what would, what would it look like? You see, it is very easy for us to see people in poverty and immediately try to assign a blame for it. Well, if they'd quit living that way, they wouldn't be there. If they would, if they'd quit living like that, quit smoking like that, quit tattooing and drinking and doing all the, you know, if they'd just quit that, they'd, they'd be a lot better off. If they just live differently. Friends, this is hard because this is the people that God went after. In our culture, in our country, there is great racial divide. And I can say this phrase right here and watch you cringe. Black lives matter. And a bunch of people go, Don, don't go there. Don't talk about that. Yeah, you're right. I get it. I I'm not trying to be political. I'm talking, trying to talk about from a cultural standpoint. There is racial challenge. There is racial division in our... And immediately we start, we start pointing fingers. And, and it's not about pointing fingers about whose lives matter. It's about... Do we care about people where they are? And we have judgmental attitudes, certainly in the church for non-church. Well, if they get themselves to church and get their life straightened out, they'd be a lot better off. And it frequently has a finger wagon with it somewhere. You see, we don't mean to slip into white elitism, but it's a, it's a very slippery trap. It's very easy to look at those people and put ourselves above them you see those shepherds but that's the very people to which this announcement came not to good clean people that made good clean choices but to people that had pasts in that song that we're singing uh, we've titled visitations to go with this series but there's a line in there, we welcome you to change our point of view. Do we? Do we really welcome God to change our viewpoint? Because that's hard. A lot of us have our viewpoints and we know what we believe. And we know. I'm not asking you, I'm, I'm saying, are you welcoming God to change how you look at people? How you look at broken, how you look at poverty, how you look at different culture? Because... Friends, if we're going to change it, we've got to change it in our hearts and our heads. 
Now these angels show up. You know, I think we may have done a disservice to these angels. Uh, this is a picture that Raphael painted, you know, gorgeous painting. Uh, and, and I'm afraid sometimes we, we focus on angels like this. Oh, you know, they're all angelic and, and halos and little cherubs. And sometimes they're wearing diapers. Sorry, we got nude butts right there on the screen. But, uh, you know, it, it's this... This happy, oh, everything is cheery, everything is perfect, playing harps. Listen to what angels are in Scripture in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels. They can be mistaken for humans. But make no mistake here, this bunch, there was, there's no mistaking. They were absolutely not human. They were absolutely not normal. They were floating in the sky. There was one of them, and then there were hundreds, if not thousands, maybe millions of them. It said the host of heaven's armies. That's a staggering about. They were in the presence of someone greater than them. I'm afraid sometimes we often say, man, I hope God shows up in worship today. I want Him to show up. Do we really want Him to show up? Because when God shows up in, in Scripture, when He really shows up, dead people walk around. Ground splits open. All right? Do you see what I'm saying? No, I get what you mean. I want it to be a powerful time. But are we really asking for the presence of God? Because we need to realize how much greater He is than us. Let me see if I can illustrate this in a weird, wacky way. Then let me preface this by saying this is an illustration. This is not real life. This is just made up, okay? Suppose, suppose I was leading a pickup game of basketball out of Greyhound Arena. Insert space for laughter right here, all right? Because that ain't happening anymore, all right? These are old. They're broken. They're done, all right? So, but suppose I was, picking a, I was leading a pickup game of basketball out of Greyhound Arena. We used to do that all the time. Down in those bat- bottom room, man, we were out there every time they'd open the doors. We're playing basketball. We're running around. All of a sudden, who walks up but Michael Jordan in his prime? Oh, who are we kidding? Michael Jordan at 65 could still whoop most of us, all right? Um, so Michael Jordan walks in. And I'm leading this game, and the MJ walks in, all right? The dude, okay, the goat of all time, dribbles up and says, hey, I want to play. You know what I'm doing? Basketball down, see ya. Uh, <laughs> ain't no way I'm going up against that thing, all right? Because you know you are in the presence of someone that is monumentally greater. Does that make sense? But what if, let me see if I can change the illustration and go a little bit further. What if MJ walks up and he puts his arm around me and says, Hey, how about it be on your team? Oh, that just changed. Uh, everything just, I get my camera out. We're doing selfies with my buddy. And, uh, and, and I take a lawn chair. I can sit on the side. I don't have to do nothing. He's going to score everything. All right? I don't have to do anything. Because I'm in the presence of somebody that is greater than me. You see, the shepherds were overwhelmed when they saw these floating beings and going, oh my goodness, we're about to die. But then they realized the joy when they found out the angels were for them. We bring you good good news, great joy that is known to you. And they were on their side. And then look at their response in verse 15. Let us go to Bethlehem. Let us do this thing that that God has shown to us. It's a do you hear the corporate nature? We do this together. It sounds like our connect groups. 
Sounds like our amp or, or spectrum or our groups that we hang on to each other. We understand things together. We learn this together. And this is a huge lesson. Friends, you cannot see God and keep Him to yourself. Now, some of you are going to want to argue with me on that. You're saying, but Don, maybe speaking is not my gift. That's not what I said. You cannot really, really see Him and shut up about it. And if you are, then have you really seen Him? Have we really let Him change our point of view? We are called to testify about what He has done in our lives. That's all He's asking us to do is tell how much God has done for us. So these... These guys, it says they hurried off to see this. In the King James, it says they went with haste. They were excited. These shepherds were excited. I wonder if this might have been the first time in a long time that they were excited about anything. Does that make sense? I mean, they're, they're kind of outcasts. They're kind of thrown out there. I wonder if maybe this is the first time in a long time they've had something to offer to the conversation. They, they had something to bring to the conversation. I mean, they's like, oh, I got to tell somebody. This is amazing. And it said they went back. They went back out to the field. They, they just told everybody they saw. You can't believe what we saw. This is what the Lord is doing in my life. We can get weary of our world. Let, let me change that. I get weary in this world, and I have been recently. Weary of the uh, the division and the and the the fear and you know what we get weary when we get away from the wellspring of life when we get away we we start drifting away from our true purpose our purpose is to tell the story tell me the story of jesus right on my heart every word tell me the story most precious the sweetest that i've ever heard our purpose is to tell his story what he has done in our life it's not a big speech it's just personal the great Charles Spurgeon once was asked by his students, they asked him, can, can people who have never heard about God be saved? And the great Spurgeon, the great teacher said, that's a great question. It's a perplexing question. It's a question that haunts me. But can I respond to your question with a question? He asked this to these students, can Christians who have the joy of salvation and not share it be saved? That might be a harder question. Can, can the Christian that knows, that has truly seen the glory of God, that wants to make a difference and doesn't, can they be saved? God is calling you and me to tell His story with how we live. Let me love with open arms like you do. And I've heard this phrase a lot lately. Let's put the Christ back in Christmas. Have you heard that phrase? Some of you posted some of those things. I'm not mad at you, all right? But I'm just telling you, if you're going to say that, be careful. If that's really true, then we need to feed the hungry. Period. Irrelevant why they're hungry, irrelevant of their bad habits. We need to look out for the poor. We need to find ways to make a difference in lives. We need to care for the sick. We need to love our enemies. We need to put down the grudges. Because that's what Christ said. Maybe we need to put the Christ back in the Christians first. 
You see, dealing with poverty and brokenness is more than tossing a little money in the red kettle. Thank you for tossing that money in the red kettle. Please keep doing that. That money is used by an alliance of ministries to impact people right here in our community. But how we deal with poverty has got to be a change of mindset. It's got to be more than just a little charity. It's changing our view of how people are. Dealing with people right where they are. And just telling them what God means. You know why? Because that's how Jesus treated them. A woman caught in the very act of adultery. Zacchaeus. Hey, buddy, I'm going to your house. Woman at the well. People with past. Matthew. All kinds of people. He just met them where they were and lifted them to something higher. One other thing I want to look at is I wonder about our view of the manger. I wonder if sometimes there's a, we have a wrong understanding of the manger. How many of you grew up with a picture like this of a manger? You know, in your head, it's the little thing with the X at the end, and it's a little tray, and it's nice and clean, and everything's perfect. My viewpoint on this changed when we were in Israel a couple, three years ago. And our teacher had us, and we were walking around, and he said, Okay, let me ask you this question. How many of you grew up with the picture of the, of the manger? We're like, ah, we know what that looks like. You know, we got it all drawn out in our head. He said, can you look around and tell me how many of these buildings that you see are built with wood? And we start looking around and we go, hmm, you know what? Not many of them are. And he said, can you look around and see how many trees we have here? And I was like, you know what? There are not a lot of trees here. <laughs> he said, there's not a lot of wood work here. In fact, in Scripture, it says we will bring down the cedars from Lebanon. Well, that's north. They have to bring them all down. And, um, but he said most of the time a carpenter in Bible times was not just a woodworker, but was a stonemason. And most of the buildings were rock and stone. Now, he was very quick to clarify, and I want you to understand, I'm not trying to get rid of your imagery. He said it might have been that way. But most of the barns that we see... The manger, the feeding trough, was a concrete or a rock trough over in the corner, not out in the middle. And it was usually pretty dirty. How many of you have been in a barn? Is that a clean place? Is that a hygienic place? Uh, that's That's a strange place. Our Savior was laying in a feeding trough. Because there was no place for their family. Our Savior, when He died, was buried in a borrowed tomb because there was no place for Him. How many of you, when you brought your baby home from the hospital, that you put him in the dog's feeding bowl? I mean, good grief. Uh, we would, uh, how, would you, how dare you even think that, Don? We, wouldn't, we don't even let the dog near the kid, right? You, know? you see, we're above that. You hear me? We're, we're better than that. Jesus wasn't. Jesus was born below us. He was born to die. We've got to see poverty from a different point of view. Friends, we've got to, as Christ followers, realize there are people in our community that are hurting. Not, and our job is not to complain about why they were there. And our job is not to... Quote, solutions with a wagging finger. You know what our job is? Love them. Love people. Tell them how great Jesus really is. See, God showed up and He visited the least likely people on the planet. 
just like you and me. One more thing. The response of the shepherds was rejoicing. They went home singing. They went home rejoicing. They were excited about what happened. Can Christmas wear you out? It's okay not. It's all right. It stresses people out. It's, it's emotional. We've got to get it perfect. And, and sometimes the Christmas music can stress us out. True? I like it. Don't get me wrong. I like it. However, it pains me to find out since 1994, Mariah Carey has made over $70 million on that godforsaken song. Uh, it just burns a hole in my ear every day. Every year she makes $2.6 million, and she doesn't do a thing. But that song just gets released again. That's crazy to me. And this song, how many of you remember the Do You, do you See What I See? Do I hear, hear What I Hear? Right. It was written by uh, Noel Ragney and Gloria Shane. They are credited with writing the song Rain, Rain, Go Away, which I didn't know. I thought that was just like an old child song or whatever. I was like, That's awesome. But it was written in October 1962. But I found this out this week. The song was not about Christmas. It, it referenced the Christmas story a little bit, but it wasn't about that at all. It was written about the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's really interesting. What? And then you go back and you look at the lyrics in that context, you can see it. They were writing a protest song because the country was at the brink of war. And they wrote this song, and they just recorded it, didn't release it. But Bing Crosby got a copy of it. Bing sang it live Thanksgiving of 1962 on the Bob Hope Christmas special that was always Thanksgiving night or the Friday after Thanksgiving. And, you know, and he sang it live on there. It erupted into a huge hit. It has been covered by people like Andy Williams, Pat Boone, Whitney Houston, Kenny G, Johnny Cash, Pentatonix, and by far the worst in the history of mankind, Bob Dylan. Um, it was hideous. Oh, it's just, it's, it's painful, all right? But most of you recognize this. The phrases are, in the first verse, it's, do you see what I see? The second verse is, do you hear what I hear? The third verse is, do you know what I know? But listen to the fourth verse. It says, said the king to the people everywhere, listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. Listen to what I say. The child, the child, sleeping in the night, he will bring us goodness and I don't think the songwriters were trying to create this epic Christmas song, but they did. Because they're reminding us that this child changes everything. And it should, it should lead us to rejoicing. When we're weary of the Christmas season, we need to focus on Him. You want to make a difference this Christmas season? Then let Him visit you. And let us see Him with a different point of view. Help me to love with open arms like you do. A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, that they would feel the Father's love. I want us to sing this a little bit more. And I pray it compels us to proclaim Him publicly and to pursue Him personally. But I'm going to pray over you before we 
we're going to sing that chorus again. And maybe you need someone to pray with you. Come here, stick around, we'll pray with you. Call us, let's go get a cup of coffee. I pray that you let Him visit your heart today. Father God, we glorify You. And we get really confused in our world. At poverty, at the season, at all of the stress and all of the different things. And I pray that we will see people the way You see us. That we will meet people right where they are. That we will love them right where they are. With open arms. That You'll change our view. Change our hearts today. Visit us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.